Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to part two of the Eighth Generation podcast, which is apparently brought to us by Elf Creamer. Uh, mm-hmm. That my mm-hmm. that the uh, the incomparable Raven has just bought. What kind of Elf Creamer was it? It's a uh, frosted sugar cookie. Frosted Ooh. sugar cookie. It's international delights okay. collaboration with Elf. Yeah, okay. and here's the thing: we're getting no money for that. Yeah, so you know it's good. <laughs> None we're just endorsing yeah. it all together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is part two of our eighth generation um, podcast. Part one, uh, of course, was about the consoles. Part two, we're going to delve a little deeper. We're going to look at third party developers. Um, we're going to look at controversies and trends within uh, within video games. Uh, we're going to look at things that have been on the rise and maybe things that have been on the fall as well. Okay. Uh, with me once again, I've got uh, Miss Raven, Virginia. How you doing? Hello. Okay, and uh, she is currently, uh, you know, just loving life because we also have with us uh, the incomparable uh, Ruiner of Worlds, uh, Doc, uh, our our lovely puppy here. <laughs> Doc is he, he's very confused about the things that are happening. He <laughs> he he is looking at us like we're a cult. That's really what's happening. <laughs> the four of us are sitting in a in a room, and he's just like, this is weird. I should not be in here. Mama <laughs> told me not to come. Kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, yeah, next to Doc, we've got Red Lanyard. Al, how you doing, Al? I'm doing wonderful. Okay. And he's being brought to you today by Paps Blue Ribbon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, so it's going to be an exciting mm-hmm. podcast for him. Yeah. If you uh, want to get buzzed for $5, you get yourself a six-pack of Paps Blue Ribbon. There's the PBR. Wow. Do you remember like when we were like a wholesome, like, like, like we, we, did, did we just have morals? Like, get I, I, and everything and no, I've forgotten. No, no, we I didn't can, do that. No, I can't all. recall that, we Sam. That. Why are you like drink shaming right now? What? <laughs> drink why are you drink shaming? No, no, I support drink shaming if it's about PBR. That's what I was about to say. Why was I was not drink shaming? Okay, well, okay, well I, anyway, I anyway, 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 that's because Al's drinking the Paps Blue mm-hmm. Ribbon. I mean, hey, Paps Blue Ribbon, uh, don't take what uh, Josh is saying to heart. We would love a brand deal with Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> would we? Would, yeah. I would. Okay. I would love I'm going to kick it over to with Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> I'm gonna kick it over to our incomparable ed- editor in chief. How do you feel about a Pabst Blue Ribbon deal with the Phantom? Not, not, not great. Not great. Not great. Uh, not great. Uh, you know, but uh, but uh, I am excited to talk about some video games. Though. Okay, I am good. excited to do that. And I, the wise sage Josh, I'm also very excited to talk about some video games. Talk about trends. I think this one is probably gonna be the one that's. Uh, probably gonna be the most energetic and most fun. I know. Spicy. I know. Al's got some hot takes. <clears throat> I've got some hot takes. And yeah, he's got you. some syllabic takes, probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, Jake, you got? Do you have hot takes? I I don't know if they're necessarily hot ones, but I'm but I'm ready to give them my takes. They're okay. lukewarm takes. They're lukewarm, lukewarm takes, probably. Takes. Okay. Yeah. Yep, I've got okay. those, those spicy hot takes of how. You know, human rights should be respected in the video game industry. I've got, I've got a few of those too. <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But here, here's here's where I want to start. Okay, because this is the branching off point for us. Um, because now, within the last generation, I would say you're starting to see more and more the rise of the um, of the super developer in a lot of ways. Uh, so we're talking about third-party developers here, and here and here's the thing. I'm saying third-party, but even though they've got a, uh, you know, even though they're technically Sony, I'd count Sony Santa Monica as a third-party because they're so big right now uh, that even though they've got that 
Sony moniker, you know, they're their own studio mm-hmm. they put out games on their own. Same with like Insomniac, stuff like that. Okay. So keeping that in mind and even Nintendo uh, would be, you know, I mean, they're a developer as well, obviously. So keeping that in mind, okay. What uh, developers this year or this, this generation, what developers stick out for good reasons, <clears throat> for good reasons, Okay, we're starting with good reasons, okay? okay what developers fine, stick out for good reasons as producing good games and uh, have really risen, have really taken their stock up one level? Jenny, we'll start with you. Um, I think you should start with Al. Okay, let's start with Al. I will start with you. <laughs> All right, then. Um, Who's a good boy? <laughs> Who is a good boy? He's a good boy. Who's um, a good boy? Video game companies. Oh um, yeah. I think, God, we sound insane. Think of developers. I think of two developers that come to mind um, are um, or two types of developers um, at least are um, indie developers have had some terrific games this generation. I think this generation has been the strongest console generation by far. Um, for indie developers and studios. Um, however, if we go beyond indie developers as well, I think one company that really um, sticks out to me um, as far as a track record this generation is um, Insomniac. Um, Insomniac has had some terrific games. Um, they, um, you know, they capitalized and treated well on the nostalgia bit by doing the Spyro um, trilogy remakes, Yo. which were probably the best remakes I played on this generation. So Those are just really, really well done. Um, they had uh, on the Ratchet and Clank game, which went kind of under the radar um, in some ways, uh, but I thought it was um, terrific as far as games reboots go. Um, I thought it was great to kind of bring the franchise into, like, the modern era. Um, It was also working to support and supplement um, the feature film um, as well. Mm -hmm. That came out um, a few years back. Um, So I think they did great with that. Um, (laughs) Spider-Man. That's a lot of people's contender for Game of the Generation. (laughs) was also an Insomniac offering. I mean, Insomniac did some great stuff, and then you had um, a lot of, as I said, a lot of consistent output from indie developers as well. Um, Supergiant Games um, had Hades, had um, had Hastian. Um, did they do Collider? Hmm? Did they do Collider? Um, I don't think so. Fact checking boy. <laughs> Fact checking boy. Fact checking boy can find out. Okay. Um. There's a third one I thought because um, I was the only reason I know is because the the girl who does all the music like had a YouTube video of her singing all the songs. I thought the other one was gotcha. the lighter, but could be um, so Super Giant Games this generation did Hades, of course. They did Transistor and Transistor is one thing. I higher. That's um, right. Yeah. All of which were great offerings. Um, um, even though technically. Um, they were active during the end of the last console generation. They were still plenty active uh, with follow-up content. Um, the indie developer Yacht Club games 
who made the terrific Shovel Knight. Um, not only did they make a game of the generation contender in Shovel Knight, the last generation, uh, they followed up that base game with like two free uh, campaign DLCs. They followed up with like a fighting game mode for Shovel Knight. Uh, this generation, they officially said they're going to end support and additional content for Shovel Knight, move on to more games. That's honestly on the on the indie developer to watch, um, in my opinion, for this upcoming generation, just to see what kind of games they do, because Shovel Knight was so um, fantastic. But, um, yeah, those are honestly the type of companies that I would say really outdid themselves. Um, you have Insomniac, and then you also have a ton of indie developers who did great stuff. Okay. All right. Uh, Jake, what do you think? So <clears throat> one of my picks is one that – or really the, the, the main one I want to talk about is one that they're still kind of technically up and coming because they haven't really put out as much as you might think um, because most people know their name because their games are that big. Um, but they're great, and that's Respawn Entertainment. I love pretty much every game that they've put out. Um, so Respawn started you know, at the beginning of this decade – um, following their success with the first two Modern Warfare games. Um, and they had a falling out with Activision because, of course, which is something that Al must have been getting to here in about 30 minutes probably. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they went on to do Titanfall and Titanfall 2. Um, I never played the first one because it was Xbox exclusive, and as we have already discussed, um, that just didn't really go for me. Um, however, Titanfall 2 is probably one of the better first-person shooters I've ever played. Fantastic campaign. The the multiplayer was actually really good, and honestly, still had a pretty pretty decent player base last I looked, which was probably about a year ago. So it's maybe still it's still pretty, it's still pretty active. Okay, good. Um, and it's and if you haven't played, it's still pretty cheap on pretty much every PlayStation Store or whatever. It's fantastic. Um, then they really hit their stride, in my opinion, with Apex Legends, which was and probably still is probably my favorite of the, of the battle royale games. Um, I do really enjoy Warzone, of course, and I do I do like some Fortnite, but Apex just I don't know. There's just something about it. They they really really done really well with that. Um, they did Fallen Order, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, the Star Wars game, which was it's good. It's got it's got its bugs and its issues, but it's still really good. Um, but I just th I think they've really come a long way um, from really just being you know just a few guys who who, you know, really kind of helped change the first-person shooter into mm. a <clears throat> into a company that I really just cannot wait to see what else they, they do next. The next game I know that they've got is, like, that Medal of Honor VR one, which I'm not sure. I don't have a VR, so I'm not really sure if, uh, if I'll be buying a VR to try that out. But after that, I'm excited to see what else they do. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're definitely uh, top contenders for, for this generation. Um and I mean, then of course, I mean it's it's hard not to put Rockstar up there um, with what they've done with you know, like you said, with with Grand Theft Auto Five, um, you know, GTA Online, and then the Red and then Red Dead Redemption Two. You know, it's it's hard not to, not to mention them when we're talking about developers that have, you know, for better or worse, put a massive massive mark on this generation. So. We'll definitely uh, talk about worse here in a second. I'm assuming with, yeah. with Rockstar because mm -hmm. uh, Rockstar's got a got a hit or miss reputation. Um, yeah, I, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna echo that. I think Rockstar is probably the um, 
probably the dominant developer of the of the generation. Um, you know, Grand Theft Auto Five uh, is the second highest selling game of all time. You know, my own thing beats it is Minecraft. Minecraft is you know on every platform, everything. on you know tablets and everything. So it's not, it's really kind of unfair to compare the two. Uh, what they did with GTA Online, even though I'm not a big fan of it, um, they've kept that player base alive and well. Uh, and they've done it, uh, you know, uh, without a whole lot of uh, microtransactions. I mean, there's no real pay-to-win pay to scale in Grand Theft Auto Online. Um, and then, of course, Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, I mean, I think it's a masterwork, and uh, it's it's itself so 35 million copies. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really hard to... Um, to to talk about this generation about talking about Rockstar, um, but I think you got to talk about Nintendo as a developer, Jenny. I mean, you know what is you know what what did Nintendo do this time as a developer? I mean, like, well, I mean, I I'll be honest with you, I don't know as much about developers as y'all do. You know, I just play the game, and you know, that's about. But it. as <laughs> as Nintendo though, like you know, like Nintendo itself as a developer, right. Yeah. So, like, you know, what Nintendo games... Well, I mean, obviously, you've got to talk about Breath of the Wild, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like... I would say, that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. I would say you need to. That, that's a big yeah. enough. I mean, that has to be... Yeah. I mean, and then Animal Crossing. Like, mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I think those... I think in particular, you know, in Breath of the Wild, uh, I mean, I, I think that sold a lot of Switches. I mean that mm-hmm. just did, yeah. Oh yeah. And then Animal Crossing came along and sold so more switches. Even more, yeah. There was a point, you know, during the middle of 2020 where switches were going for like 700 bucks on eBay because you couldn't find them anywhere. And people were paying. And it. people were paying yeah. it yeah. so they could play Animal Crossing. Yeah. So you know, I think um, I think as far as as far as you know, to, to me, a good developer um, puts out a game that that you that you're willing to buy a system to play. And I think I think we've all mentioned. Because uh, I think Spider-Man's that way. Um, I think, uh, obviously, I think Rockstar's that way. I think Respawn's that way. I think Nintendo's that way. Um, but I do want to pivot back to indie games for a bit because even though you mentioned Supergiant, I think Supergiant's a very, uh, a very powerful indie, uh, uh, indie company. You know, uh, indie games in particular, um, even if we don't know the developers by name. Um, indie games have made a real transition uh, into the mainstream. Um, so, like, you know, uh, Jake, what kind of you know indie games? You know, I mean, how have indie games influenced what you play recently? Well, I mean, if if, if I'm being 100 percent honest, I really don't play as many as I probably should. Um, I know that the ones that that I have really kind of tried out, I've really enjoyed. Um, <clears throat> I know that, uh, and it, but it is interesting, like from how it's kind of affected the market, because a game like uh, Celeste was, if I remember correctly, nominated for like a few like Game of yeah. the Year awards. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's like I think that one, it, that one in itself is really interesting because it's a game where it's literally just okay, here you go, she's trying to get up the mountain, okay, help her out, you know, get her up the mountain. But it's it's a very challenging game. But at the same time, it's very accessible the way that we kind of talked about the way with like Animal Crossing or something like that would be. Um, so I think I think indie games, I think a lot of I think a lot of their their nuance and what really kind of affects them for like how they 
kind of affect the market as a whole is their accessibility and their their ability to just put it in the hands of someone and say go which is where like i said celeste would work it's where um i know we talked about super giant hades would definitely be one that would be like that because i remember you know you picked me up from work and you gave me your switch and said to start playing and i was like you know saves overrides you're like nope just don't, don't worry about it just yeah, start playing. Just you know and 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 he was like if you can actually beat meg you know more power to you and uh and i, and I was like, <laughs> and I was like I was. okay yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was a while ago um and uh and sure enough i started playing it and the following week when, when i got paid i was like i have to buy this game myself you know and so I, I think that's the big I think that's the big thing with them is <clears throat> at least when it comes to any games for me is the ability to just put a controller in someone's hand and let them start playing. So I think that we've definitely seen a rise of that. You already talked about it with the Switch being such a huge platform for it. I mean it's if you look on the eShop, you know, you just start scrolling down and you're like, I've never even heard of half of these, you know. But at the same time, you don't know. I mean, you could start playing something that could be the best thing you've ever played, you know. So, no, I think I think they're a massive, massive boost to the industry, in my opinion. It's interesting because in the last generation, you could really, which I would say had a rise of indie games, mm-hmm. so to speak. But you could really name the indie games that mattered on one hand, you know, like... It was like Braid, Limbo, mm-hmm. uh, was Journey was technically last year. Journey was technically, yeah. You know, um, you know, that's really, really about it. And this now, we could we could also do in our podcast about the top twenty indie games, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so many of them and everybody played so many. Like you, Jenny, I'm gonna, you know, I know you probably think you didn't play any indie games, but you played What Remains of Vita. I was actually about to mention that. So yeah. yeah, I mean, what did you think? Because what did you think of What Remains of Vita Finch? Because that, indie games tell. Have the ability to tell different kind of stories. What do you think of that game? I loved it. I absolutely I enjoyed every well, maybe loved isn't the right that, word, but I enjoyed it immensely, um, as far as like, you know, gameplay and it being um, you know, interesting and holding my attention and being captivating. I mean, it's not no spoilers, but it's not a super like Yay game. But. Yeah. Told, <laughs> it is not a super yay game. <laughs> it, it did tell a different kind of story. Yeah. I will, I will it was plug. very original. We do have, I think it's still on YouTube, a Jenny playing through the game yeah. with her commentary. What? Why is that funny? Because, because there's that moment where, where you go, they're really about to make me. And, yeah. and it's, just, it's just trailing <laughs> off. And it's just, and that's just the, yeah, that and it's, it's the darkest moment of the entire game, you know, but, oh man. Um, there but is a, a bright moment in that game. That's true. That's true. But if that's yeah. Anyways, but yeah. it did tell it told an interesting story and was able to examine humanity in a way that a lot of games really don't do. And I think that's one of the things that the uh, that the indie games are, are really good at. Yeah, I, one of my favorite games uh, was you know I was when I started my list of top five. It was there. Edith Finch was there. Of uh, a uh, Firewatch was there. I don't, oh, I don't yeah. know if y'all Firewatch. played. Fi- mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all played that or I guess yeah. you're a dick you're acting like you did uh, but like I played it it was great yeah. <laughs> but I love Firewatch but Firewatch you know is not a traditional game the game mm-hmm. is literally about the story and that's one of the interesting things that have happened with the indie games is that they tend to appeal more to people that aren't gamers than actual AAA games do mm-hmm. if I gave someone who isn't a gamer you know, God of War, they're probably going to get frustrated pretty early on. They're going to be really angry that Kratos, keep, Kratos, you know, keeps, you know, yelling at Atreus, you know, and it's, it's not going to appeal to them as much. 
you know, no matter how much I'm like, no, this is life, you know. But like, <laughs> but but if I give them Untitled Goose Game, you know, Untitled oh, Goose Game, you know, just, just, just causing as much chaos as possible, <laughs> that's a game that's going to stand out to people. Al, I know you know you're you're a big part of the indie developers. What indie games are there any we've missed? Anything? Um, yeah, I mean, like. I mean, this is your opportunity to say something about Hades. Yeah, I love, <laughs> I love Hades. I love indie games in general. Um, for an example, for anybody who isn't like, you know, super familiar with like the industry terms and what is an indie game and what is an indie game and what you know indie means, AAA means. Um, indie Good game, safe. indie, um, is basically a term to be used for um, a studio or a developer that is not backed by um, a big publisher, right? There are companies who develop games, who do the programming, who do the engine, who do the graphics, all of that. And there are companies who publish the games who have basically all the cash flow, right? They're the ones who are able to do big advertisement campaigns, who are able to say, look how sick the new Star Wars game is, right? That's why you... That's the only reason why EA exists anymore. If EA was forced to be a pub, if EA was forced to be a developer, it wouldn't exist anymore. But it has the cash flow. That's very true. Yeah. Um, Indie games are games that don't have the cash flow of a huge publisher to back them up, but they still come out. Um, Some indie games are done by one person, (laughs) and they come out, um, which is wild to me. Um, To see the best example. I can think of, and this um, example actually does not come from me originally. Um, I'm taking this from an example um, that um, Twitch streamer um, um, Pat stares at, uh, which is a great um, channel on Twitch. Um, He used this um, example on his podcast. He said to really exemplify how far the indie game has progressed from Generation 7 uh, which was um, Xbox 360, PS3, to Generation 8. Um, last generation of consoles, um, CD Projekt Red would have been considered to be an indie developer. That's <laughs> you know, interesting. We don't think of them that way now because they made The Witcher 3. They have probably the most hyped game of their generation coming up in Cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. But last generation, they would have fallen under mm-hmm. under the umbrella of an indie developer, um, and that just shows what kind of influence and what kind of build um, the indie game has had on this generation of consoles. Um, there are um, three indie games I want to talk about specifically um, uh, that really I want to th- think of the indie realm of the industry for the past generation. Think of these three games. Um, so one of them is a game that if I had to choose a game from this generation that I connected with the most on an um, emotional level, um, it'd have to be this one. It's from the end of, it's from the indie developer um, Infinite Fall, um, and the game is called um, Hide in the Woods. Um, I streamed this game a couple times Um I'm on Twitch for fan correspondence. But um, right in the woods, uh, this goes back to Josh's discussion of talking about how indie games have this ability to tell more 
deep kind of unorthodox stories kind of complemented by unorthodox gameplay. Um, in um, Not in the Woods, um, the gameplay basically consists of you controlling your avatar, just kind of wandering through this small town and having conversations with people. And that's about the extent of the gameplay in A Night in the Woods. But the characters that Infinite Fall put together and the narrative that Infinite Fall put together um, resonate with people so much that it was one of the most successful games of 2017. Um, for anyone who's keeping track, <laughs> 2017 is when Legend of Zelda came out. <laughs> and it's still held in the same conversations as Legend of Zelda because it had such an impact on the indie scape. Um, it's a terrific game. Um, Hades, um, a game released earlier this year, it had been um, an early access the year prior, is another game I would talk about. Um, Hades officially got nominated this year for um, the Game of the Year Awards. Um, it's a massive roguelike game. Um, art style is beautiful, story is great, um, gameplay is great, it's got depth, it's got post-game stuff, it's an incredible game. Um, again, it's from an indie developer. I think the Hades team consists of like 30 people. Um, for comparison, um, the last Halo had over like 8,000 employees on the team. Mm. <laughs> um, like, it's just so mind-blowing what small teams can do with games nowadays. Um, and then the last one, this one always blows my mind. Let me talk about the story that's being told in indie games. Um, th there was an anime game that came out... Oh, gosh, I'll have to fact-check boy myself on this one. Mm. But I think it came out 2016, towards the end of 2016. Um, it was called, um, Hokey Doki Literature Club. I don't know if y'all have heard of that game, but it came out on PC. It was basically a interactive anime story that, like, you just kind of read dialogue, you follow along with the story. Uh, for people who don't know, the game takes, um, kind of a twist. Yeah. Halfway through, it, it becomes kind of an interactive horror game <laughs> that's being told instead. It was super unique. Um, Literature Club was made by one person. <laughs> Literature Club, all the art, all the story, all the programming in that game was made by one dude. The music. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the music in the game it was all made by one dude. <laughs> the, um, the genre says visual novel, psychological horror, which honestly, yeah, I yeah. love that mix. It's a perfect description, yeah. And it's uh, 2017, um, by the way. In 2017, okay. Um, Fact checking, boy. <laughs> but um, that game's incredible. Uh, that was one of the most played games um, that would show up on like the YouTube page for um, for uh, for video games. Um, that was the power of indie games this generation. I mean, it's insane with small teams down to one dude who had the idea <laughs> for an anime game um, can do. It's just wild. You know, you'll always have the huge AAA studios who have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to spend on games, but I'm always just blown away by, like, these small groups and individual people can do 
uh, with indie games. It's wild. They can pull off a lot, and I think, uh, you know, and and I think a lot of, particularly what we saw with uh, with X, we talked about this in the last podcast, but particularly with Microsoft, you know, Microsoft bought up a lot of studios, hmm. and they bought up a lot of, you know, what would have been indie studios. I mean, really, you know, the the company made Outer World, uh, hmm. you know, with yeah, Obsidian. Obsidian is yeah. basically an indie studio. Um and so there's a, I think it, it's on the rise because, you know, like I said, there's a, there's a movement to get as many people playing video games as possible. Um, and, it, you know, you might not want to invest, you know, 75 hours into a video game, but, you know, you, you might want to play, you know, a literature club game that turns into a random horror movie yeah. right in the middle of it. So, so I, I do think indie developing is, is definitely uh, it's it's obviously not going away. It's definitely on the rise. It'll be interesting to see. What I think is interesting with indie developing uh, games is um, uh, how they get to the player. It'll be interesting to see how much um, you know how many games are going to be put on not just on the Switch or PS5 or uh, Xbox One Series X. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many how many Doc has had enough of us. <laughs> he has done. He has done. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how much uh, um, you know how many of these games are going to transition over into like the mobile platform. Um, you know, I think that'll be something to look for. Um, trend wise, you know, speaking of mobile, trend wise, one of the things that we kind of have to talk about. Ah, oh, Niantic. Yeah, yeah, Niantic, exactly. One of the things we have to talk about is, uh, you know, mobile games. Mobile games have really been a, you know, it, mobile games are interesting because there's almost a sense where they're like the, the, the unwashed stepchild of the video game, <laughs> and yet at the same time, it's like, you they're know, huge. Pokemon Go has still has like a billion players, like literally, mm-hmm. so worldwide. So it's like the most played game in the world. So it's 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 like you know I think a lot of these games get a bad rap because so many of them are very easily cash grabs. Me and you play a yeah go game that is very much a very much cash grab, grab yes. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's got a an animated version of Roblox, so you know, like I can't Just, I can't be got to play it. Um, but it's a cash grab. Clash of Clans is a mm. cash grab. You know, a lot of these games were cash grabs. But what Pokemon Go I thought that was interesting is even though I think there's a element of cash grab to it. It, it's attempting to foster a community, which really kind of got in trouble in 2020. Um, but Jenny, you know, you of the four of us, you've probably played the most Pokemon Go. What is it about? Eh, well, baby, I don't know. I, I mean, okay, you played way more than me. And Jack. I know that. Yeah. That 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 side of, of, that of the let's play more. We right. stand it. All right, I do not have a I do not have a Pikachu in a Mimikyu costume, and that makes me really sad. Aww. I've got stuff. So I've got a sub version of that. Uh, I can trade you one. You know, and it makes you really happy. Well, that might, we might have to make that happen. Gotcha. But anyway, um, Jenny, what, what is it about Pokemon Go that works so well? Why does this game stand out? Because um, at this point, it's lasted basically four years, which is well beyond the lifespan of a mobile game. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, Well, they keep updating it, which is awesome. They don't. Mm-hmm. It's not a standstill type game. It's interactive. Um, it's social. Um, I know, like, when it first came out, you know, we would go downtown and we, like, made several friends from yeah. it, which mm-hmm. is rare for me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like most people, so 
<laughs> for me to bond with uh, other Pokemon players. Um, and the fandom is just very welcoming. So I think that they gave Pokemon players an opportunity to meet other people. And I don't know, it's, it's cool. It's, it was different. It was, I think, the first of its kind. Yeah. So, and yeah, again, like it does keep updating. So it's not like, you know... This is always something new on there. Mm. Like, so the the upgrade of like gyms and stuff. Do you think that's helped foster? Because there is there is now an element of competition to yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. You know. Yeah. So talk about the gyms a little bit. Like how does how does that help the game? Do you think? Uh, well, it it yeah, it does add a lot of challenge. I know, like um, I remember me and Al and all of us playing and trying to defeat the the rocket. Um, what was their name? Team. Well, I guess Team, Team Rocket. Rocket. But you yeah. know, like, yeah, those people were freaking impossible to yeah. beat. But uh, yeah, it's just, <laughs> um, and and yeah, the, it's, uh, I don't know, like it's. Then they, do, then they did like the uh, like the monthly community days and like those. The were monthly community days are yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, they've been doing those a long time mm-hmm. though. Um, yeah. All right, real quick, favorite Pokemon you have in your in your Pokemon Go? Uh, my shiny uh, Charizard. Kind of character. I, knew, yeah. I, knew, I knew she was going to say yeah. it, too. Yeah, I, I got it on the community day. I have a shiny of every other starter, but I don't have a shiny. I have a shiny blast toy, so I'm kind of proud of it. tortures me. <laughs> <laughs> I might have the shiny Charmander. <laughs> I might have to do some training. But okay. see, that's just okay. what I'm saying. You're yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about playing the game. That's what you do. There's just so much like to it. Like you, you know, there's trading, trading involved, and then you know, and you don't have to like everybody plays this game differently too. Like yeah. everybody I've met has a different way of how they do things, and they'll explain like, well, I'm keeping this one for this and this one for that one, and like, yeah, it's just it's very interesting. Okay, so Al, question for you. Okay. You got to answer this within game context only. Okay. Why did Pokemon Go work? And why did the Harry Potter version of the same game not work? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think in terms of the game, um, I like how you phrase that question. I know. I do. Too. Um, <laughs> I do too. Damn, I can't talk about how terrible the person J.K. Rowling is. Okay. Um, <laughs> I tried. I tried. I'm trying to get um, the hot I'm still going to do it. I'm Sorry. still going to do it. I promise you, hot take section is coming. Okay, okay well, that's fine. not even hot take anymore. But trans rights are human rights. You can't stop me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think in terms of the game, I think um, it came down to a couple things. So one was uh, by the time the Harry Potter um, mobile game came out, um, Pokemon Go had gone through a few different updates and iterations, mm-hmm. and had worked out a lot of the launch kinks uh, that had happened to it. Um, the Harry Potter game, even though it was still from Niantic, um, it launched in a similar fashion as Pokemon Go originally launched, with a lot of the same problems, which I didn't really understand at the time, um, why they would not just patch those out as it was being launched. (laughs) Um, So I think that held it back. Uh, Because I played on the Harry Potter game on the equivalent of Pokemon Go at launch, and it felt bad to play. It just did. It felt like you were playing Pokemon Go at launch. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason why Pokemon Go was able to survive its launch, and I think this is really at the heart 
of why it has survived and the Harry Potter game has lagged behind and basically died at this point. I don't know anyone who plays a Harry Potter game. Is that uh, Pokemon Go is one of, if not the, the most popular properties on Earth with That's what I was about Pokemon. To say, yeah. um, sure, Harry Potter is very beloved and it has a lot of very devout fans, um, but Harry Potter is not Pokemon. Uh, in, the words, in the words of Draymond Green when he was talking to Paul Pierce, um, <laughs> you ain't Kobe. You ain't Kobe Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter game, I see you, but you aren't Pokemon. Like, you can't launch like this and people will tolerate it. Um, so I think that's really a big a big reason why. Also, there was so much game content from the Pokemon franchise that could be implemented, and by extension, the player base could look f- forward to, mm-hmm. right? So Pokemon Go launches in summer of 2016. It launches Gen 1. Um, it's got some issues. But one of the things that I realized when I was playing it at launch, and I played it on, like, the day the app released, was I was just like, I can't wait for, like, Gen 2, Gen 3, Gen 4 to come out. I can't wait for Team Rocket stuff to come out. can't wait till I can trade Pokemon with my bros. Like, there was so much tangible content for players to look forward to in Pokemon Go. Uh, when Harry Potter released, it just... It didn't have that progression-based content for players to actively look forward to. Um, the Harry Potter game released, there was like stuff from Book 7 on the launched game. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, well, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Like, I've unlocked the images of the Deathly Hallows on this game. Like, <laughs> it's done. <laughs> like, why should I play this game past new months in the launch when the updates are slow and I don't have the tangible reinforcement coming my way that I do with Pokemon Go, where even right now we're in like Gen 5 of Pokemon Go. Mm-hmm. Um, I opened it the other day and I was just like, man, it'll be s- s- super sick when Gen 6 gets released. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just it's just that kind of thing. And I know people have problems with like, well, they should just go ahead and release all the content. But, like, you have to understand that a game, um, a mobile game cannot operate on this same principles as, like, a console game mm-hmm. can. It's just impossible. It's not a sustainable business model um, to do it that way. And I think that's the main thing that got Harry Potter in trouble, is that it didn't have the popularity of Pokemon, and it operated on the idea that just, like, Here's all the Harry Potter universe onto this launch update. And it's just like, well, now you don't have anything to work mm-hmm. forward to. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Hmm. I, I, just, I just think it's interesting, you know, and I, I'd actually agree with you. I think, um, I think Pokemon, uh, I, I think Pokemon's also not as awkward to incorporate into that style of game. Mm-hmm. Like, Pokemon Go is is what Pokemon is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, there's no, there's nothing about that that's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, if to the Pokemon universe, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, except like curveballs, you know, which 
are the bane of my even, existence. Even then, that's Ash does that pretty much every Ash never throws a well, straight ball pretty much. The heck with Ash. Just okay. saying. I mean, I agree. <laughs> I but... Well, Ash is also an idiot. So, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, I don't care if he's now the champion of the world. He's, <laughs> but, he's still an idiot. But the general, the general, <laughs> the general idea of Pokemon Go is well within line of the Pokemon, mm-hmm. you know, franchise. I'm I'm not a Harry Potter fan. By any stretch of the imagination, but I really couldn't imagine what you would do with that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a little less of an awkward fit. Do you think it'd be fair to say that almost anybody that's into Pokemon is probably a gamer, but not everybody that's into Harry Potter is a gamer? That might be fair. I think that's fair to say. That's probably fair. Yeah, for um, sure. I that do think there's a lot of overlap. Too. But yeah, but yeah. with Pokemon being a game. But, but what's interesting about Pokemon Go that was like. You know, people play it that, in my opinion, probably don't play. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, it definitely reeks across, like, you know, a bunch I mean, I remember of that, like, you know, tweet from John Mayer where he's like, I just spent, you know, what, $100, $100 on Pokeballs? And it's just like. But he probably yeah. did grow up with, like, I mean, he's a closer to your age. I hate to tell you he's 40, and I, I know that kills you. He's over well, 40. Yeah, now. but even still, though, that's still around the time. I mean, like, maybe. But I'm just saying, like, I, I don't, you know, I could be wrong. You know, and if, you know, I, I could be wrong. I'm not trying to If you're listening what, to this, not me. Yeah, I'm not trying I to talk about what I'm doing. I'm, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> that's a that's a interesting, yeah. you know, th- there's a lot of people play Pokemon Go that might be probably don't, you know, well, my boss play Pokemon mm. Go. He he's not a Nintendo fan at all. But the general idea of just like grabbing you know, grabbing and keeping Pokemon, you know, and you know, having a little bunch of little Pokemon. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just, that's just gonna be that's my Pokemon. It's a good time, yeah. So just tossing it out there as fact checking boy. Um, so jo- this is not a factoid I thought I'd ever share on a podcast, mm. but John Mayer would have been 16 years old when the Pokemon anime uh, first premiered in America. Was that necessary? So he could have he encountered it. He could have been in the Yeah, I think he could have been. I'm just saying. <clears throat> I, John Mayer, if you're listening. I'm moving on. Are you I'm, in the Pokemon? I'm moving on. I'm moving on. <laughs> I'm tweeting him later. I'm like, calling. Okay, look. Um, a lot of, lot more trends we want we need to talk about here. I want to talk about the trend, uh, a trend that uh, we might have already seen the rise and fall of it. Uh, I think uh, maybe the high water mark is probably Call of Duty Black Ops 4 for this. But I want to talk about Battle Royal gaming. Um, okay. It seems like Battle Royal games became something that everybody did. And I think it, I think my favorite part of this was at E3 when they announced, uh, was it, I think it was Battlefield. Was it, it was one of the Battlefields. And the guy goes, oh, we're releasing something new, Royale. And then, like, and we were all, like, what uh, in the, like, Yes, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's, like, yes. Yeah. So we've now reached a point, though, where, like, it seems like everything. Um, Fallout 76 had one. Fallout 76 even. had a Battle Royale mode, you know. Uh, right now, the number one Call of Duty, you know, concept is Warzone, which is a battle royal mode. Uh, Fortnite's battle royal game, PUBG battle royal game, you know. So like battle royal games, good uh, Apex battle royal game. I was about to say, yeah, uh, the yeah. most popular one right yeah, now. Yeah, you guys gotta leave, can't leave Apex out. <laughs> so battle royal games, good, bad, somewhere in between. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Some good, bad, ugly. What's, yeah. yeah. What's going on? What do you think, Jake? <laughs> Um, 
me personally, when they're when they're done well, they they can be fantastic. Um, I think the biggest issue with Battle Royale games, and this, this honestly this might be me as a player, um, is that a lot of times if I'm not, if I'm not playing with friends or not playing with people I know, I pretty much hate them. Um, the one kind of rare exception for this would actually be um, Warzone, and that's because you can do solo, and then you know you can have a you can actually kind of enjoy it a little bit more um, because there's nothing worse than you know a Apex is a prime example of this. I I love Apex, but I struggle with it a lot because I'll get I'll go in and then I'll have one guy who wants to either lead or follow me, and I'm okay with either or. <laughs> or then I will have another guy who just runs off and does nothing, and so then it's either me by myself or me and one other guy against three people who are all on the same team and actually working together. So then there's automatically going to be you know something going against you. Um, no one's there to hit the party button. And no one's there to hit the party button. But see, like, let's see. Uh, so, so uh, you, you mentioned that. So if you didn't know on our streams, there was a point where in one of the maps they had this giant airship that you could hit the party button, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in a video game. And it was actually really useful. And it was because, because, because yeah, because myself included. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> if you're in a first-person shooter, and all of a sudden someone says "party time," and then like bouncy balls start flying everywhere, and like holograms loud holograms, loud music. You're like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I will never forget the first time you hit someone hit that. I was like, I do not know what is happening. Yeah, that was good it, it was it was amazing. But we probably need to stream that We probably do, honestly. Definitely, um, y'all can see the party button. Exactly. Yes, uh, party button's coming. It's it, it, we're gonna make it happen. Um, but for me, I think I think one big thing that a lot of people could do, that a lot of different companies could do, is find a better mix between. I would say find a better mix between um, in-game content versus paid content when it, when it comes to battle royale games. Um, you know, Apex actually does pretty well with this, even though you do have to grind to get you know the newer characters, or you can just pay for them. Um, Warzone, in my opinion, does not do well with this except for weapon mods, because if you want a new operator, just may God have mercy on your soul, or or may your may your uh, debit card have mercy uh, on you, you know, because that's pretty much the only way to get a new operator or to get more skins or anything like that. Um, you know, I. I gotta be honest. I've never been more annoyed than recently when they did the Halloween event, and I was like, "Oh, sweet! You can get like a leather, like a leather face, you know, skin." And then they were like, "All right, you got twenty bucks." And I was like, "No, can you not unlock this without that?" And no, you can't. And stuff like that annoys me. Hold on, I do want to add to this. Greg, how much did you pay for Warzone? Nothing. Okay, I just want to point that out there. I, Okay, let me rephrase. Okay, no. I, I just want—I just want to be—I I won't be that guy. I'm sorry. I understand that. Okay, I do. And and don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from that. I, excuse me. I'm sorry. But what, what was that look for? <laughs> if y'all can't tell, we are recording um, all together in person. Yes, live. Yeah. Time, so. so all of us are making weird faces at each other. So Jacob gets to see my nonverbals while we record. <laughs> It is it is bothering him. <laughs> I mean, I do I do understand that I do, okay. But at the, at the same time, I think I think that's how you kind of keep a game going, though, is you kind of keep adding new things so that people can, can come back to it. Prime sure. example, Pokemon sure. Go for free though. Pokemon did did okay? Did you have to pay for Gen Five? 
Did you have to pay for Gen 5? No, I, I know you have a cottony, but did you have to pay for Gen 5? Hey, question. How much money have you spent on Pokeballs? Or a Pikachu onesie. All of this is irrelevant, okay. my friends. Well, I, spent a lot of money on <laughs> I know you have. I, I I like to get, you know, a good fashion going for my character. Mm-hmm. Sure. Get that drip. See that that's the because we're we're we gotta talk about microtransactions. I was about to say I feel like this is bleeding into We're bleeding into microtransactions. <laughs> but the thing is, is like there's there's microtransactions that in my opinion are horrific. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um Anthem was a pretty good example of this. That's very true. Actually the best example of this is obviously Star Wars Battlefront. Absolutely. And yeah, Battlefront now, now I was ready to talk about it. Yep. Okay. Um, because they both, you know, had very like there were parts of the sixty dollar game that you could not play unless mm-hmm. you paid more money for it. Yep. That were right there. Okay. Yep. Warzone on the other hand though, is Call of Duty say so is basically Call of Duty pulling Las Vegas tactic. All your drinks are free, but you better gamble in the casino. Okay, and that's what Warzone's doing. They give you the game for free, sure. and then sure. they're like, "Hopefully, you'll be you'll get killed by a guy with a crow that pecks your eyes out, and you'll go, I want to kill a guy with a crow, that pecks my eyes out. <laughs> and you'll go and you'll pay twenty bucks for that." So I don't really mind that transaction as much. Same with Fortnite. Fortnite does the same thing. Sure. Um, Overwatch does. Over Overwatch has thing. never yeah. had uh, the the sheer amount of content that Overwatch has been able to put out without charging a cent is amazing to me. Yeah. Um, it's impressive. You know, it's it got to be that money they're receiving from their friends and, and communist oppressive kind. That's probably what it is. Probably. You know, yeah. Sorry. I was, I was, I, that, meow, meow. Look, I, I, we'll talk about Blizzard in a second. I do love Overwatch, obviously. Um, microtransactions, okay? Jenny, if you, if, you know, um, You've talked. You were just talking about the Pikachu onesie <laughs> and things like that uh, to get that drip. To, to get, get that drip. drip. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do you do you mind paying a little extra to get things that you like in a video game? No, overall no. Okay. And I mean, why why not though? Like, I mean. I mean, it's no different than you know. Buying stuff in real life, I guess. Yeah, I, I think I think that's and I, in a I, lot of ways. Yeah, and I, I think that's the that's the the direction we're all going in. Hmm. You know, is like you know, a lot of this stuff could have been like um, at this point been been in previous generations. We could have disregarded a lot of this and said, ah, it's not real, so it's not really worth it. Okay, but now where we're entering a an, an area where digital content has real value <laughs> and has a real say on part of your personality and really, you know, part of your, I, you know, I, identity in a lot of ways. Paying for stuff doesn't seem to be something that a lot of people um, are are going to have issues with. Of course, in moderation, like, mm. you know. Well, that and I was going to ask, Al, where does it cross the line, though? Like, when, when well, does it become predatory? I think so. Microtransactions. We could have an entire podcast just about the history of microtransactions this generation, right? I mean, it's gotten to the point where there is a U.S. Congressperson who's authoring a bill to restrict um, the advertisement of 
microtransactions and video games. Like it's gotten to a a congressional influence. <laughs> this this like this relatively new thing in video games. Um, I think for me, and I am a lot more anti microtransaction than a lot of people are. Um, a few years ago, I would have said don't have them in video games at all. I don't care the price of the video game. I don't care what the microtransactions are. Don't have them in the video game at all. Um, I've softened a bit towards them. Um, to me, um, I think if the base game is free and paying more does not affect your ability to play or be successful in the game, you can have all the microtransactions you want, right? That's kind of where Overwatch is, right? Um, all of the microtransactions in Overwatch are, like, for skins, right? Mm -hmm. If I have the new Hanzo skin, that does not affect my actual capabilities as Hanzo. I'll still be a terrible Hanzo, even if I have the brand new skin. Right? <laughs> I think you're expecting I think you're expecting Hanzo, man. <laughs> but um, it doesn't affect my ability to be successful at the game. And a lot of Twitch streamers and YouTubers have actually turned it around and made a profit off it because they'll have YouTube videos or they'll have streams where they say, hey, I bought a hundred boot boxes on Overwatch. Come and watch me open them all and see what kind of rewards I get. And then on the money they make from ad revenue and stuff will easily outnumber the amount they pay for the loot boxes. Mm. Um, especially if the base game is free. And if it doesn't actually affect your success in the game, then sure, have all the microtransactions you want. I won't pay for any of them myself, but, like, it's whatever. Have all of them you want. If you paid for the game, um, I'm kind of of the opinion of just, like, of take it easy on the microtransactions. Still don't have it be tied to, to like, your actual success in the game in any way. But, like, if you paid for the game and it's just, like, um, cosmetic stuff, like Overwatch again, then, like, it's fine, it's whatever. Um, it's when either significant content or your success in the game starts to rely on whether you pay into microtransactions. That, for me, is where the line is drawn. Um one game I think of immediately about this is um, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. Um, that game came out. The launch roster was like a third of the size of Marvel vs. Capcom 3. It was a small roster for a fighting game. Mm -hmm. um, and then they were just like, well, if you buy like our seven... DLC character packs. <laughs> like, it's fine. And you'll get and all these characters. And then you found out it was all encoded on the disc. Anyway. Yeah. And then you find yeah. out that the <laughs> that the programming material was there in yeah. the first place. That's, um, that's garbage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a garbage tactic to have once again. Uh, the other thing you guys talked about with, like, um, Star Wars Battlefront, um, some other games that had similar things where, hey, you can just pay us seven dollars and you can have this gun that outclasses everybody else's gun yep 
and just like boom, you're now like guaranteed at least a top five finish in the match. That stuff is also garbage. Um, and that for me, there's a part of it that I'm just like, hey, you company who did this, that's not cool. Don't do that. You are being very greedy with your prayer base. Like, just give us a finished game if you want microtransactions, have it be tied to, like, cosmetic stuff or whatever. But there's a much more real part where, and I've said this for years, I've echoed Jim Sterling and Yahtzee and all those guys who've said this for years. Um, players, stop paying for that stuff. Like, <laughs> companies would very quickly realize, oh, hey, we can't get away from <laughs> We can't get away with this if players would stop giving us the money for microtransactions for this kind of stuff. It's insane. Um, you know, I thought I thought if you had told me eight years ago when this generation started, if you had told me just like, hey, Al, people are really going to hate microtransactions at the end of this generation, I would have thought of, I'd feel very vindicated about that. <laughs> But, like, I don't. Because pay-to-win microtransactions or huge um, game content types of microtransactions would not even be a thing anymore if people would learn some impulse control and just stop paying for them. It's insane to me. It's insane to me. Even games I like. Injustice 2 should not have had, like, five... <laughs> DLC character packages. <laughs> like, it should enough. And at the end of all the DLCs, it still didn't have all the characters from the first game. Like, That's true. It's insane. But people kept paying for it. Oh, yeah, I mean, I paid for it. It's I mean, wild. It's, wild. <laughs> it's wild to me. And, like, to, to a certain point, people are very right in that, like, well, it's my cash has just been however I want to. And I'm just like, yeah, you're right. However, you don't retain the right to complain about it afterwards. You just don't. Because you gave your money to it and you supported it. You know? That's my big takeaway in microtransactions is that I've had to come to a compromise where I'm just like, okay, as long as it's so, cosmetic and doesn't affect gameplay, then fine. So, so, but but I, I do think there's, you're conflating two things here that I think are different. And maybe it's just because I was like, yeah, I'm going to pay for the team. And then you can shut your mouth out. <laughs> but like, but I think you are conflating two things. There's a, there's a microtransaction right. that makes a statement mm -hmm. like, you know, hey, you know, well, okay. It's like Battlefront. Battlefront's microtransactions were predatory. There's no other right. way around yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. For Spend sure. some money. You might get something that might help one of your right. characters. Yeah. Okay. Right. Or you might get something that'll help a character you never use. Right. right. Okay. It's like a gambling. All right. Thing. That's the big yeah. contentious thing um, with the congressperson who's doing the bill is that it's a form of gambling being advertised to kids. But who knew that Star Wars would do that? <laughs> who knew? <laughs> but like on but on DLC but on DLC packs. Okay. Mm. So like for Injustice or Mortal Kombat. Right. Or for Spider Man. I mean, do you, do you really conflate those as the, as the exact same as microtransactions? No, I think there is a difference in the types of DLC. Um, because things like Spider-Man or things like The Witcher 3, right? Those were significant additions to the story that they did not have the means to include in the game at launch, right? Uh, those were things they did afterwards that were just like, 
hey, this would be a good addition to the base game, and we think it would be a worthwhile investment. And it, in the case of both of those games, I think that was very true. I think, this, I think the three Spider-Man story DLCs add a lot to the game. I think the two Witcher DLCs were basically two entirely new games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the two The Witcher 3 was very much worth the price of the DLC. Um, people cannot sell me on the DLCs for hiding game characters. They just can't. Um, I, I brought up the Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. That was the worst offender, right? <laughs> because we literally had proof that um, the coding was in there mm-hmm. for those characters <laughs> before the season pass went live, before uh, the DLCs went live, all that. Uh, we had the proof. Um, Heckin' 7 had, had a similar thing. Where a majority of the DLC characters already had the coding in the game. Street Fighter Five. Um, Street Fighter Five definitely did. SF Five, yeah, exactly. Um, well, they basically told you a half done game for sixty hours. But. Yeah. Um, but even the games who aren't as offensive for me, you just can't sell me on the idea that no, it's okay to have all of these various characters, you know. <laughs> adds significant characters to the roster for ELC prizes. You, you just can't sell me on that. Just can't. <laughs> you just can't. That could just be me, but like you just you can't sell me on that idea. And there were Injustice 2 characters I loved. Like, like Red Hood. Red Hood Red Hood's literally the first one. A DLC character. Mm-hmm. Like that was great, right? Um and I also do want to say um, fighting games are almost something you have to handle differently because the industry is suffering. Fighting <laughs> games are not as strong as they once were, and I understand that. That's that's the main argument I get from people um, who play a lot of fighting games who are just like, you know, the developers and stuff could really use the extra money from the season pass. Um, I mean, that's, and that's, I, and that's... Like, I understand that. But there are ways to go about it that are passable, and there are ways that aren't. And having having seven separate ELCs for characters that should have been in the game in the first place is not the way to go about it. <laughs> That's just me, <laughs> right? I just, I think fighting games are such a almost a niche product at this point that I don't see you getting away from that uh, anytime soon because it's just mm. there's so much. Um, there's so much writing on those DLC packs, yeah. um, you know, and there, and, and, and also at this point, I mean, and you know, like I, I am the insane guy that buys them every time <laughs> because, you know, I get, I get excited and I will say continuously let down, but Mortal Kombat 11, cause they shove people like Rambo into that game that just do not need to be there. Ooh. You know, um, okay. That's his, that's his hot take is that the Mortal Kombat characters, the Mortal Kombat games, should only have Mortal Kombat characters. They, well, they should. Which is kind of a weird hot take because it shouldn't be a hot take, but it is. It's, yeah, I don't know why it's hot take. They should at least prioritize the Mortal yeah, Kombat. Yeah, I was about to say, like, there's, like, there's 70 Mortal Kombat characters you could do. There's so many characters that I would love that back. And the fact that I'm getting John Rambo instead of someone like Kung Jun or Takeda. Just really bugs me, but so I mean that's where I'm at. But <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I just think I think you you know I I have to have a slight disagreement there because I, I don't find that as predatory as you know a pay to win. It's almost like because because it does. Because here's the thing, 
when I do get a DLC pack, it adds, and Chris, and this is just me as a fighting as a fighting game guy. Yeah. It does add hours of gameplay for me, right? You know, and I think most people that get it, it adds hours of gameplay. Sure. Um, so it would add to me the similar amount of gameplay that say the Spider-Man DLC would, yeah. you know, um, because you're you got you got new characters to master. Yeah. Um, so that's just kind of that's kind of yeah. where I'm at. But yeah. I do, and I'm I'm kind of on the flip side of that as well because to me. Um, the rise of like all the season passes and DLC characters, if anything, have actually chased me away from playing fighting games anymore. Yeah. And I was like super entrenched in fighting games. I would go to like the local tournaments and stuff. But like, if anything, those have like the prospect of buying the game for $60 and spending an additional $40 on the new characters, at least in time to like learn the new characters to not get stomped at tournaments. Um, effectively chased me away from playing fighting games anymore. <laughs> it just has. Well, I just, you know, that, that's where I'm at. But, uh, but I, I do, I do want to ask Jake uh, a real quick question. Jake, the, the idea, you know, Al, Al basically said that, you know, that he thinks that the end of this generation microtransactions are, you know, kind of looked or definitely frowned upon. Do you see microtransactions in the next generation uh, being something that's a uh, you know, lower, like, I mean, do you, do you see, do you see the same amount of microtransactions? Do you see more? Do you see less? I, I would say less. See, I can tell you from, you know, now fighting games are a different thing, but like mm. from, I know from the last two years of NBA 2K that there's a lot of people that are just not buying that stuff anymore. Yeah. Mm. And, and I think, I think that's why I think, I think the, the things that like you and Yahtzee and Tim Sterling have been saying is actually coming to fruition slower than what you all want, mm. you know, or slower than what people, or really what I mean, me and anyone would want, honestly. Um, because for me, because I mean, it's one of those things that the last few years is kind of something I accepted. But then, if you actually set me down, you gave me the option and said, "Would you like to pay six or well now seventy dollars for a game?" And then everything is on the disc. You don't have to pay anything extra to have the entire game. Or would you like to pay $70 per game and then $30 extra dollars mm. to get stuff that's going to come out later? I'm going to take the first option, mm. you know, um, obviously. But for me, you know, I think I think, I think Star Wars Battlefront 2 was the straw that brought the camel's back. I, I really mm. do. Um, like you said, that's the one that got Congress involved and, and Parliament and you and the UK. Like, I mean, it's it is something that literally got you know political at that point. Um, and so, and as someone, and this is this is coming from someone. Look, if you've listened to anything we've talked about, um, you know, or if this is the first time you've ever heard anything from us, and you know me, and you do not know me at all, I am a huge Star Wars fan. Okay, so I am someone who the first game I played on PS4 was the first Star Wars Battlefront from EA. I bought Star Wars Battlefront 2 Deluxe Edition the day it came out. Everything I was ready, and I was horribly let down the same way that other people were because there were so many microtransactions that you couldn't even play the actual game. Um, in my opinion, Battlefront One is actually the bigger offender because that one has less content uh, without the season pass than 
pretty much any game I've ever seen. Like it had like four modes on on like three different maps basically, yeah. and that was about it until you bought the season pass and then you got extra stuff. But at that point, you've literally spent you know one hundred and ten dollars for what should have been even at that point, and, and, and as much as I enjoyed the game, like a 40 to $50 game. But that's that's neither here nor there, focusing on the microtransactions. Um, so EA got a lot of flack for that, obviously. Um, and I, I always felt bad for DICE because they did such a great job at Battlefront 2 from a developing standpoint, but it was so bogged down by the idea of microtransactions. So much so that even when they removed them, the first two weeks of, of playing the game, which is primarily an online multiplayer game, the first two weeks, that system was still broken because they hadn't fixed the grind of it. So, yeah, you couldn't pay to get to upgrade your cards, but instead we were all just playing match after match after match just to try and get one loot box and pray to whatever whatever higher power we believed in that we would actually get something halfway decent for the characters we were playing. Of course, ultimately they fixed that um, later on, but at the same time, it was, it was, it was rough, man. Um, I think they kind of won out because the game itself was actually a lot of fun to play. Um, but then, you know, following that, you mentioned that, you know, Anthem basically did a lot of this, had a lot of the same issues and they, and because it sold so poorly and because it was so buggy at the start, they scrapped it. And I mean, Bioware, I think that I think they're still working on the new Dragon Age. But besides that, I think that's it, you know, for them right now. I don't and, think I've ever seen a of a gaming company just give up as yeah. fast as they did with. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing is that, is that both Bioware and EA pulled any support for that game, and it was because. Once again, you could not play that game unless you were willing to shell out more money. Um, you know, the, I know I know Division had some microtransactions, you know, but it wasn't too did bad. We, we still did we buy anything in Division? No. The the big thing with Division is the big thing for Ubisoft, and that's the one thing I will say about them is that they don't do as much for microtransactions as they do for big season pass DLC things. So, you know, you're not paying small amounts for a little bit, but you are adding on an extra 40 bucks to get, you know, three more campaign missions, pretty much. Um, but I don't remember if I ever had to do that. No, no, we never, we, we never had to, because yeah. the base, because the base game was, we had, we had a horrible falling out, and then didn't speak till after Thanksgiving over to the game. <laughs> we, well, that too, yeah. but, um, quick question, uh, mm-hmm. Smash Brothers, mm-hmm. I feel like they mm-hmm. do their DLCs, a little differently. Well, I, I was going do to get they into do that. their DLCs a little differently. Oh, what do you think? I mean, they they follow the base model to a point um, of most fighting games. I will say that Smash Ultimate um, gets way more of a pass for me because the base Smash Ultimate straight up had all the characters from the previous games already there. Yeah, every single one. <laughs> That's huge in its own right, right? Mm. Um, the DLC pack fighters still kind of rub me the wrong way, but the fact that a fighting game would actually just be straight up and just be like, no, we're going to go and get all of the characters we've ever had in the base game, that, like... Is a significant improvement. Plus, that's do, coming from I, a person who plus, doesn't you, play a lot of Smash. You, you do get a stay your favorite fighter too. Which yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I also thought you were able to unlock everything without 
Are you not? You can unlock all the original fighters, but the DLC packs you have to pay for. I don't have to pay for PD Pro. He was the only one that was a freebie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so he was a pre—he was technically a pre-order bonus for mo- for or, or like a pre-order or like early bonus. So anyone who, that. yeah, so anyone who had the game before it was like January like twentieth yeah, or something I like it was that. Like a weird date. Yeah, it was it was like the middle of January. As long as you had it, be, as long as you took had the code in before then you had PD for free um, or piranha plant technically, but yeah, whatever. Um, but uh, everyone else was after that was a paid, was a paid character. But see for me, like, and that's kind of the thing with, that's why I'm picky about DLCs and I'm picky about, you know, um, about, about certain microtransactions because, because, and, and it's like you said, you, you know, Witcher, the Witcher and Spider-Man are basically adding the second half of the game mm-hmm. to a game that's already big as it is. Yeah. And, and tip and typically they're not that expensive. So it doesn't really matter as much with smash brothers. I paid it's 25 for, for the fighter pack where you get five new characters. And then it was still 25 when they did the second fighter pack, which is actually six other characters. Mm-hmm. So, for fifty dollars, I'm adding eleven characters and eleven new stages, all kinds of me costumes. That honestly, I kind of feel bad that I don't utilize as much in the game as I probably should because I know there's so much content there. Um, so for me, like I don't necessarily mind the, the way that Smash Brothers did it because you know, because when I when I think about it, you know, we paid a hundred for Injustice to get the Ultimate Edition and have the season pass and everything. At the end of it, I will have paid $110 for everything I put into Smash Brothers, and I have put my Switch system in like 80 to 100 hours in that game, you know, so, somewhere between there. Josh has definitely put more in than me. I will readily admit that. Um, but, uh, but I mean, like, that's – if, if you are a game that I know I'm going to get something good from it whenever, no, whenever I have to pay a little extra – Honestly, I don't care if as long as it, it is worth it, and in my opinion, those are worth it. Mm-hmm. But that's why you know microtransactions, where it's you know you have to pay to upgrade your character, you have to pay to get this extra weapon, pay to get this extra skin, mm-hmm. you know, or not, not so much the skin, um, but you know, pay to upgrade something about in-game content. That's an issue, you know, because like like you said, you know, not everyone's gonna want to shell out that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you mentioned uh, Battlefront One. Uh, I don't I don't know if you if you realized you were mentioning that one per, per se, but um, you got Han Solo's blaster if you uh, got the deluxe edition just right off the bat. Just here you go, here's Han Solo's mm-hmm. blaster. The problem with that is that that is the most powerful gun in the game. So like I just started the game and started just you know. Destroying people and they started to start shooting. Yeah, exactly. And the thing, and, and the thing, yeah, exactly. So they started blasting. But the but the problem is, whenever you do something like that, is there was no incentive for me to continue playing that game after that because like there was an, every other gun, every other gun that I tried to use, I was like, I don't like this. You know, the that was like I was. I'm gonna go back to Hans Blaster. You know, like that's the. So I, th- I think that's another big issue. Uh, but really, just EA just has issues in general, honestly. So, you know, yeah, just real quick, I looked it up because I wanted to give out the information. If anyone is interested in checking out um, uh, the congressional bill uh, that I talked about, mm-hmm. um, the boxes, uh, the author of the bill is uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, and um, 
The bill is called. Um, it's actually a very dramatic, great name. It's Sweet. called um, the uh, Protection of Children from Abusive Games Act. Mm. <laughs> Man, just uh, so if anyone is interested, I've re- I read through the bill when it was first proposed to Congress, and it actually is a very interesting bill. Um, he makes a lot of interesting um, arguments and comments. Um, it kind of shows that. Um, Senator Holly has probably played some video games in his time. <laughs> I, so, um, here's um, a, it's really interesting. As much as I love that, I really am just upset they didn't name it uh, Congressional Bill Challenge Everything since all this really started with the EA. <laughs> like, like why? Like, you had it right there, yeah, you know? Right there. Just... Just <laughs> Um, Let's transition. Sure. Here's a question for Jenny. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather work forty hours a week at Starbucks? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> or eighty hours a week working on Spyro? Eighty hours a week working on Spyro. Mic drop right there. Okay. <laughs> let's talk Here's about that, everybody. <laughs> so industry crunch is just fine. Let's just talk. <laughs> let's, let's talk about crunch. Let's talk about crunch. Okay. So it's it's been a, it's been a big thing. Uh, the first. I think, Al, you can correct me on this. I think the first issue of Crunch was of L.A. Noir was the first big one. Uh, that guy's basically yeah. been driven out of the industry yeah. at this point. It's the first big um, one. Arguably the worst offender of it. Yeah. Um, L.A. Noir, of course, had a had a real interesting uh, developmental uh, schedule. Um, there, we, Another thing we do, a whole podcast on it. Uh, Matt McMuscles has a fantastic what happened mm-hmm. on that. Uh, which I would suggest. Um, that's really the first time I heard of Industry Crunch. Um, Industry Crunch has moved. Uh, Rockstar has been pretty much at the forefront of it, and I would say with Rockstar, uh, basically this became a byword for basically any AAA game at this point. This is a game, you know, are these guys uh, who are making these games uh, under what is known as crunch, okay? Um, I'm going to let you explain what crunch is, okay? Yeah, um, so crunch is usually is a term referring, uh, uh, basically, in a broad sense. It refers to um, when a developer or a publisher, um, which is an of important um, inclusion, a developer or a publisher um, compels the development employees um, to work in excess of their uncontractual hours or full-time hours um, on a game um, in order to meet a, a release deadline um, or something like that. Uh, crunch usually comes into play when a game has, has been delayed um, past its initial release date. Um, um, that, um, that is basically what it is. It's compelled overtime hours um, enforced either by the developing studio or uh, the publishing studio. That's kind of the broad definition of the term. Okay. Um, so with, with, with Crunch being a um, – being kind of a a a byword now, and it's definitely something that I think is is of a lot of concern for a lot of gamers. Uh, I'm kind of making fun of Al 
was my first question, but I do think it is a concern for a lot of gamers. Um, one of the things that um, that keeps getting brought up is um, this idea that, um, and we're seeing this with Cyberpunk. So Cyberpunk, of course, has, has had three delays now. Is it? We're on our third day, right? They, it was delayed from May, then to November, then to, so yeah, three. So we've had three delays for Cyberpunk. And one of the things that, one of the reasons, you know, CD Projekt Red is kind of, they're kind of gaming us a bit with how their response to it because what they're, a lot of the responses have been, you know, we don't want to put the crunch on our employees, you know, any more than they already have been. And it's almost at a sense where, and I like CD Projekt Red. I think I think they are a somewhat moral company, uh, if there is such a thing. But um, you know, I, I, I but I do think there's also a little bit of gamesmanship there, where they're almost saying like, well, here's the deal: we would have had this thing out, okay? But then you told us we couldn't work sixty hours a week, or we couldn't make people work sixty hours a week. So you know, Jake is is it worth? You know, are these games worth the amazing amount of man hours that people put into them? Yeah. It's, it, it is... Initially, I would say no. <clears throat> strictly, because, strictly because on one hand, you... In my opinion, you should never have to have that kind of crunch. You should be able to just, you know, push back deadlines and everything. But at the same time... <clears throat> I'm also a fairly understanding consumer, you know, so when Cyberpunk or CD Projekt Red tells me I will not get Cyberpunk uh, until December, which is the fourth delay. I said third. I was asking third, you, but... Uh, it's third or fourth or something like that. It's either third or fourth. Was it delayed from May to September or was it delayed straight from May to November? I think it was April to May to September to... Oh, November to December fifth. Yeah, there's a lot of delays. Okay, so so any, okay, but anyways, it's a very delayed game, which, is, delayed game. which is not inherently a bad thing. No, because because the thing is, is like you tell me I won't be able to play Cyberpunk until a certain period of time. I know I'm still going to get Cyberpunk. You know, this is going to be a game that is going to be fantastic. So I'm perfectly fine waiting. However, there are so many consumers that are not. You know, if some and you know. If someone's like, oh, the new Call of Duty got pushed back, I mean, there are so many people who would be like, oh, the world is ending, you know, for video games, you know. Um, and, and same way with, you know, sports games, you know, f certain fighting games, really anything, you know. There are going to be consumers who are like that no matter what. But the thing is, it's like, and of course, I, I, I hate to say this, I hate to use this, but, you know, when... As, as someone who writes, as someone who creates things, okay, if I made something that was as much of an experience as God of War or Red Dead Redemption 2 or Spider-Man, looking back on it, I don't think I would look at, you know, oh man, I worked a lot of hours those weeks just to get, get that game done or anything like that. Me personally, I think there would be a lot of times where I would look at it as in, I created something that's going to last forever. I created something that's going to last a very, very long time. You know, now <clears throat> it's also hard for me to say because, on the other hand, you know, working our day jobs, you know, like there's never really a point where I'm going to say, you know, I did something really great here. You know, <laughs> so if I put in 60 hours at, you know, 
I mean, any of the past jobs I've had, you know, serving, bartending, or anything like that, you know, it's it's this money, you know. But I think I think there's a certain point where you have to kind of you have to kind of expect that some of that is going to happen if you're working for a AAA studio. Does that suck? Absolutely, mm-hmm. you know. But for me, I think if I was taking that job, if I was taking that development job, I would also understand that that was going to be a possibility of happening. Um, you know, and I think I think that the industry as a whole, I think they since it has become such a an open discussion. You know, it's it's something that I mean, the average gamer knows about it now because because of people like Matt My Muscles, because of people like Jim Sterling, Yahtzee, uh, because of people like Red Lander from the Phantom Correspondence. Um, you know, <laughs> um, um, I think it is something that going forward, a lot of companies are going to have to kind of start looking looking at and. Hope, hopefully, setting more realistic release dates. Because um, in mm. my opinion, that would make mm. like I understand. I understand that. I understand you have shareholders. I get that. Okay, but at the same time, especially if you're a AAA studio, I mean, because of, because like I said, good and the bad of them, there's not going to be a point where Rockstar is going to have to say. Well, guys, if we don't get the new game out by September, we're going to shut down the doors, aren't we? You know, like where there's not going to be a point where where they're going to have to do that, you know. And the thing is, is like if you're an independent developer or a small-time developer, um, it's not really going to matter as much because you're an independent developer, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And and EA is the same. I mean, EA, Ubisoft, you know, Santa Monica, Insomniac. You can you can take your pick of these bigger studios that have the backing. That it's not going to matter so much, you know, if they if they don't if refuse to give in to the to the crunch culture. If they say let's wait, let's get a good game out, let's call it good. Prime example, okay? We just talked about them. Anthem was a rushed and crunched game, like it was. Like it was that game was supposed to come out. I think the previous September, if I remember correctly, and it didn't come out to February. And so it was rushed. And the thing is, it's like, that's not good. You know, you put you put out a crappy game because you rushed it and because you tried to block it down with microtransactions as well. But that's a whole other discussion that we just did. Um, but then you contrast that with Nintendo, which I have heard of issues with them in the past, you know, like small, like different things here and there. But at the same time, in all this discussion, this this excuse me, this discussion of crunch culture, there's never been a point where we where anyone who worked on Animal Crossing or Legend of Zelda or even Smash Bros. Ultimate, you know, said I had to sleep at my desk. I had well, to hold on. I want to. I want to. Oh, yes, bring this up real quick. Okay, is that a thing? It's a whole different culture. Okay. It's an entirely. I mean, that's true, culture. but no, but but at the same but at the same time, like. Well, <laughs> then began to discussions of you know work culture and different yeah it's, things. It's, it's entirely um, different. Though. Well, okay, but in my opinion, that's something that's something. There, Nintendo is the reason that we have video games. Honestly, if we're really getting right down to it, Nintendo is the reason that, that we have the games that we have today. Mm-hmm. So honestly, why why would we not want the bigger publishers, the bigger developers, to actually start looking to them as the forerunner? Like I, I understand that they're creating these games that are these you know massive masterpieces and everything. I mean, trust. In our top five, we're going to be talking. All of us will most likely be talking about some of them sooner or later. But at the same time, 
you know, I think that if they took a few pages out of Nintendo's playbook and they took a few pages out of the the idea of give them uh, having a little bit of patience waiting for a good game, I think that would go a long way. Okay, Al. Um, basically, Jake's argument uh, is one that's basically since you're creating a work of art, since you're working on something that's going to last, the crunch, the concept of crunch, and it matters much. Go to work. <laughs> right. Well, art and crunch should never be in the same sentence. But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to. Well, but they are the. Well, I mean, it's a big statement. No. I got to defend Jake really quick on that. They are, though. I mean, that's just, I mean, I, 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 so like, I mean, I grew up hearing stories of Jimi Hendrix, you know, in, in the studio for 14, 15 hours straight each day. So, you know, art and crunch are very much a, almost a synonymous thing. You know, I mean, this is the Gladwell concept. You know, you got to spend 10,000 hours doing something before you master it. Mm-hmm. I think where Al's getting ready to go, though, is that company-wide mandated crunch is a whole different concept. Yeah, that's what I was, I was about to say. say. Yeah, like pressure um, and it's different. I could be wrong. I would ask you, like in the example you use, was Hendrix being, you know, compelled by his able to spend fourteen fifty no, I mean, hours? No, But was he doing it as like? His creative process. Because that's what he does, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Because like that's what great guitar players do. If it was a right. real crunch, he would have put something out that was, you know, done in like an hour, and it was, you know, corporate bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, see, I think one of the problems that comes from crunch whenever it's discussed within the industry is that a lot of people who aren't familiar either with the industry itself or with um, labor laws or anything like that, have this concept that, like, all all crunch conditions are, like, completely the same and uniform and things like that. And that's not true. Um, CD Projekt Red um, is an example where what they're doing with Cyberpunk technically qualifies as crunch. However, it is not the same kind of conditions that a lot of U.S. companies have done, that a lot of companies from Canada have done, in that um, CD Project Red is based in Poland and Belgium, right? Mm-hmm. Those are like the two headquarters. Um, Belgium has very, very progressive laws when it comes to employment um, and labor laws and things like that. Um, we won't know entirely what the details are with cyberpunk unless like an official report of what the work conditions were is ever released. (laughs) But, um, um, there's been some reports that the crunch conditions after the first delay were actually discussed with the union rep and were just like, Hey, is this agreeable to y'all? And there were compromises made and things like that, even though that would still technically count as crunch. It's not the same as things happening at, like, Ubisoft, where programmers were not allowed to leave the office for Mm -hmm. three to four days at a time, right? Mm -hmm. That's not the same thing. Um, There's very important differences there, right? Um, The thing with 
crunch, and this kind of goes back to what I was talking about even with microtransactions. Um, companies would not be allowed to get away with really harsh um, crunch conditions if their consumers didn't allow, allow them to. But every time there's a delay of a video game, everybody gets on Reddit or everybody gets on YouTube and does reaction videos or whatever it is and says, oh my god, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. Cyberpunk is going to be the worst game of the generation. Now. Yep. Because <laughs> <laughs> we got delay. Um, I forget I forget his name, but there's a Nintendo developer. He's known for being like a very innovative, very great uh, gaming developer who said the iconic quote like, you know, a delayed game always has a chance of being good, but if a game's rushed, it'll always be bad. Mm-hmm. That's Miyamoto. That's Miyamoto. Yeah. I was about to say. Yeah. So that's, there you that's, go. That's like, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> I mean, right there, that truth. Um, if gaming fans would buy into that idea, then companies would still crunch, right? However, I don't think it would be as bad, and I don't think they would still crunch. As, as prevalently as they do now. Um, you know, we talked about on the crunch conditions at Rockstar. Um, this is kind of used as kind of a counter-argument to the idea that, like, you know, it's a work of art and things like that, and it'll out, outlive the work I did and stuff like that. Um, some of the developers at Rockstar would report, like, you know, I spent, like... 20 straight hours um, doing programming work on the graphical mechanic where if the temperature dropped, a horse's testicles would shrink. Um, Is that a literal thing? Yeah. That does happen in the Um, game. I've never noticed that in the game. um, That to me is not worth the crunch conditions. No. <laughs> for that employee. Let me rephrase. That, that is absolutely correct. I want to rescind some of my previous comments. I'm sorry. <laughs> so it kind of depends, especially when you compare it to indie developers, you know. Um, Dan Salvato, who was a one-man team of, of the literature club game I talked about, mm-hmm. you know, he probably spent a few very late nights um, programming that game. Mm. Um, it was under his own conditions, though. And the way that the economy is, the way that the video game industry is, and the way that westernized eight-stage capitalism is, is that crunch is bad because it undermines the employee's autonomy over their work. That's the central idea that's bad about it, mm-hmm. right? If it's a thing where they talk to the employee union, if they're fortunate enough to have a union, um, the part where they talk to the to, to the union about it and say, hey, is this compromise okay, and there's a dialogue open, that's very healthy, and that can be very good. It can be very beneficial to the employees themselves. Um, the part where um, a Ubisoft executive shows up and says, hey, do not leave your desk until this section of the Far Cry game that's going to undersell is done. <laughs> um, that's the part that's bad because it takes away the autonomy and it takes away a lot of the motivation from the employees to do the job well in the first place, which probably leads to all of the extended delays that happen. Right? Um, 
you know, um, Assassin's Creed Unity had a crunch when it was being developed. I don't know if y'all played Assassin's Creed Unity. That did not feel like a game where employees worked overtime to prevent mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and it kind of feels like, huh, I wonder if the problem was they were being forced to work overtime. That's when your face disappears at times, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's the issue I have with Crunch, is that not because all overtime is bad, not because, you know, employees should have this and this and this and this and this catered to them. Not uh, because art requires a certain amount of work and sacrifice. It's that the employee's own autonomy is being undermined. That's the issue that people have with crunch. Mm. I think that's fair. I think that's definitely fair. But I also do think just a little bit, just a tiny bit, Rockstar got a little bit more heat than they probably deserved. So, and the main reason I say that is because all that started because one of the lead writers – you know, one of the guys in charge of writing basically said, I went and worked, you know, extra hours. You know, I've worked, you know, overtime so many every day this week. And then that's when the investigation and all that started. And and I and I, and I was thinking about Ubisoft when that happened. Because I'm like, man, Ubisoft puts out an Assassin's Creed every year every on year. the dot. <laughs> yeah. So, like, there's no way <clears throat> mm-hmm. that they're not crunching something there. Um, but I do have, I, I do, you know, I, I, I do think crunch in and of itself is a very bad thing, but I do think there is a gray area in the same way there's a gray area with movies. Because here's the thing, I don't we don't ever talk about movies with crunch. You know, I mean we never bring that up. And, and that's a big thing. Probably should be it is. for a lot of people. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, like I I think part of it is because you know, and this is something that I think we really need to discuss more, but the idea is that, you know, if games are going to be an art form mm. in the way movies and TV are, they probably need to have some of the same respect that movies and TV have as well. And, you know, when we talk about Stanley Kubrick, you know, mm. you know, him basically making, you know, everyone's life a living hell on the side of the shining became kind of this like, Oh, how funny and quirky Stanley Kubrick is kind of joke. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, that's, horrific but we don't we don't really pan that over into into video games so hmm. i don't know I, I i think it's a i think it's a trickier question than, than what we're giving uh, what we're giving it credit for um but i do want since we already brought up ubisoft <laughs> oh I, I do want to uh to discuss somewhat some of the 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 concepts because uh, ubisoft did have um, a, a bit of a uh, controversy it's recently, a just a tiny one. <laughs> a uh, so, Al, why don't you enlighten us to that one? Uh, mm-hmm. Because I do think that controversy is part of a bigger controversy. Sure. So, um, so for those of you who don't know, um, which I didn't until today, <laughs> it was revealed. Um, it was leaked, if you will. It was revealed that um, a lot of the senior officers uh, within Ubisoft's company. Um, habitually harassed and um, at times abused um, some of their employees um, sexually um, to the point that some of the programming and development employees um, um, reported that um, 
it felt like they were working under constant threat of being sexually abused if deadlines weren't meant, uh, if deadlines weren't met, um, and things like that. Um, Ubisoft, it appears, had known about this, but did not release any statement about it until um, information got out on its own. And um, there were some senior officers who were outright fired. There were a lot who were offered the um, opportunity to resign. Uh, and then there were some that after they rejected the opportunity for resignation were excused um, instead. Um, and some statements were made uh, by Ubisoft's EEO about how they care about their employees and things like that, uh, contrary to all evidence available. Um, <laughs> um, however, even in the midst of those apologies and public statements, um, no compensation um, for uh, for working under duress were offered to Ubisoft employees. Um, no form of psychological counseling or trauma processing was offered to employees who had suffered such things. Um, and they basically did a pretty bad job of handling that situation um, to the point that when Watch Dogs Legion was released, um, there was a joke going around amongst a bunch of different streamers and industry journalists saying it'll be interesting to see what a game is like when it is developed under constant threat of actual abuse. Um, and the answer, if you've seen the release of Watch Dogs Legion, <laughs> is not very good. Not great. <laughs> not great. So that strategy does not work. Heads up, game companies. <laughs> that's Who knew? not the best way to develop a video game. Um, for me, that that is the that is the outstanding um, spot on video game issues um, this generation is that it, it is astonishing how quickly Ubisoft became the main villain of Generation 8 video games um, to do something just so incredibly evil to their yeah. own employees. Um, it's astonishing how it happened, and it's astonishing how poorly it was handled afterwards. Uh, that, to me, is really the standout um, just bad time of this console generation. So what do you think the effects of that will be moving forward, then, for, like, Generation 9? Which actually leads to my question, okay? Because you made the statement that you, in our previous podcast, which you all should absolutely listen to, mm-hmm. you had made the statement that you think that Sony or PlayStation might actually go or might go to, towards buying Ubisoft. Isn't right. that what you said? Yeah. Um, what what do you think that actually looks forward and like looks like going going forward? You know, following if if Sony buys them and following you know sexual harassment allegations. Yeah. Um, I think some of the ramifications of this have already been seen. A lot of very talented uh, programmers and developers have left Ubisoft mm. um, to go and work for other companies who don't actually abuse their employees. Um, which That's nice. they should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bravo to them. Um, um, so I think those ramifications are already being seen. Uh, they have seen it even when they're held publicly accountable. Uh, the company still still won't go out of their way to respect them or afford them any kind of 
counseling or compensation for that. Um, so I think that um, will chase off a lot of talented developers, mm. um, which is not good for Ubisoft because Ubisoft has had a very hit and miss um, eighth console generation. So that doesn't bode well for them. And if anything, I think that will make um, the gaming company even more vulnerable to acquisitions, um, like being acquired by Sony, um, becoming PlayStation exclusive or something like that, because they will realize, oh, hey, we messed this up. We aren't able to recruit any talented developers right now because people know what kind of company we run. We need the kind of consistency and the kind of public image that PlayStation can afford us. Because um, never heard about sexually inappropriate things happening during the development of Horizon Zero Dawn mm-hmm. or Spider-Man yeah. or God of War or any of the other PlayStation-owned no, Sony seems to be a, Sony seems to be pretty straight-laced. I mean, of course, Neil Druckmann is... I mean, he gets in trouble for being too woke. You know, not a dog. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's his... That's the issue of him. Um... Yeah, I, I do. I do think you know. Moving forward, I, I hope. What I would hope is that you know that what happens at Ubisoft um, is almost a rallying cry that this is a thing that cannot that cannot occur moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, nerd them in general. You know, geek them. You know, the nerd community in general. Fandom. Fandom. Fandom <laughs> has had a really has had a really tough go of it in, in, in regards to, um, you know, <laughs> gender issues, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, basically, you know, misogyny. Um, I mean, to the point where, you know, it, it's, it's, it's embarrassing, mm-hmm. you know, really. And I think video game developers definitely need to put a, a foot down where that's concerned. Um, because, you know, I, it, it's just, it, it's just becoming, it's, it's, it's something that that's you, you know that it's it's almost we've got to make the statement. Look, man, it's 2020. We don't be doing this stuff anymore. I mean, this yeah. is ridiculous. Um, you know, we we should have moved past this. You know, I mean, as an evolutionary species, we should have moved past this. You know, um, so I, you know, I I do think um, uh, yeah, I, there there were probably other <laughs> other controversies that we didn't even talk about Blizzard. I was going to talk about Blizzard, but we're already at what are we at? Like an hour? Uh, we're at almost two. Almost at two. Yeah. So here's where I want to end. I do want to end here um, because I think this is this is the this is a question that uh, will bridge the gap to the next one, uh, to the next podcast. Um, and it comes from this fact. Okay. So our boy Joe Rogan. Okay. Who uh, we're we're all big fans of at the fan course. Our boy. Our boy. Dude, we're all big fans of Joe Rogan. Like, I mean, me, I, me and me and Al had a really well, huge conversation. You, you did. Rogan. That's true. You did. Yeah. So our boy Joe Rogan back in July made this wow. statement. He's being ironic for anybody. Uh, there's yeah. no irony here. <laughs> Joe Rogan. <laughs> Joe Rogan is. I mean, he's a modern day philosopher. What an intellectual guy okay, is. All right, all right. Dude hosted Fear Factor. Okay, it's man. True. Come on now. And the Man Show. And the Man Show. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Joe Rogan. Okay. I forgot that even existed. <laughs> Joe Rogan made the statement okay. uh, that video games were trouble. And his main issue was that, you know, video games are an issue 
because you can play a video game and you're just in the same place you are when you started the video game. Mm. And you can lose years of your life playing these video games. Mm. Okay. Mm. Now, what's interesting about this is that these are not things we say about other mediums. Mm. No one ever makes a statement anymore about TV, about movies, about literature, anything. So here's the question. Okay. With the eighth generation, do you think video games attained the level where they can actively be called art? We'll start with Jake. I mean, I already made the statement that yes, you know, because I mean, I, despite the odd uh, testicle or horse testicle shrinkage that happens in, in Red Dead Redemption 2, which I never even noticed um, in, art, in 70 hours of that game, I never noticed. Uh, I hope the programmer but, who who was responsible for that hears that. It feels real good. About yes, that. I, I, I hope <laughs> you do. Look, we're, that's, that's something we didn't bring up, okay? Al just, like, just basically took that programmer's, you know, his the shining moment that he has in this game and used it as an example of, like, you know, this is what's the issue with crunch, man. He's probably sitting home going like, man, I can't. I studied them for yeah, hours. I'm, I'm, on a, so I'm on a watch list now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, no, I, I, I genuinely, like, like you said, because we're getting into our, this is a perfect bridge. I genuinely do believe that video games have reached a medium of art. I, I really, I really do, especially in this generation. Um, if not the seventh, honestly, because um, I mean, Last of Us is seventh generation, and let's face it, you know, there's. <laughs> I mean, Red Dead Redemption One. Is Red Dead Redemption, yeah, exactly. Red Dead Redemption One is seventh generation. You know, those are both just as much uh, in the. Uh, in the conversation for that as its sequels. Um, God of War, I think, is an, and Spider-Man, I think, are other games that have definitely attained that identity of being an, a form of artwork. Um, if nothing else, then just like... I was thinking about it last night. Uh, I, I was playing the new Spider-Man, uh, the Miles Morales one, and like the design that went into that game like of the fact that like every building like you don't notice this that much because you're swinging you know but if you actually just start walking by the buildings you'll notice like all the different like there are different stores there are different like uh offices like that entire world is so fully realized yeah you know sure. and like when you do something when you're able to do something like that and you're able to create that that's it almost almost goes beyond the game. It's like we like we said, it's an event or an experience, you know. And what I would say to anyone who makes the comments that you know games have no like real like value in the real world, or they have no, um, you don't get any actual like experience out of it, or you don't you don't progress further in life from it. Like, I mean, four of us have sat here. You know, for four hours now, and have discussed video games because it's something that we genuinely love. It's not that it's the one thing we do with our lives. It's just because we love these things. Mm. And the thing is, it's like, like you said, you know, movies, television, literature. I would put them right up there with that now. Um, not every game, maybe not, but at the same time, also really want to put every movie or every comic or every book that I've read up there as well, you know. And and I think that's the, I think that's the thing that so many people forget about is that video games at their core have the same kind of identity 
as a, as a good film, as a good book, in the sense that if you experience it, you want to talk about it with someone. Um, not trying to jump too far ahead or give out any spoilers, but all three of us played Last of Us Part Two within the span of like three days of each other, pretty much. And all three of us knew that two hours into that game, we were going to need to talk to someone else about what happened. You know, all three of us did. So much so that you told me, Josh, you said, I will be up. He said, no, you, you, you said, you said, just let me know and come talk to me if you need to. And sure enough, I did. And that's, and that's the thing is like, whenever you experience something like that, you want to share it with others. And I think that if you make the statement that video games don't move you any forward in life, then at that point you also have to make the statement that fandom doesn't move you any forward in life. And let me, let me say right now, as our motto is fandom is for everyone. I mean that in the sense that. It's for everyone because every once in a while we need a form of escapism. We need a form of where we are looking at something else and realizing that that story can teach us something, can give us some kind of hope, can give us some kind of insight into our everyday problems. Um, I can personally tell you, and I will get more to that in our top five, there are video games that because of the, of the impact they had on me, they affected certain life choices I made for the better and i will absolutely get forward into that and that give you a little little tidbit as to oh what's coming you know that kind of thing a little bit of a tease. yeah a little bit of tease there you know but um so so to so long-winded way to say yes 100 percent video games are artwork and I, I will actually i will absolutely die on that hill if i need to i'll give you a last word video games are Nah. 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 Let me just move on. Let me just. Uh, all right, guys. Yeah. Good podcast. Move on to the uh, third one. <laughs> nah. Not to take anything um, away from Joe Rogan, who um, I've, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a fan of the podcast. I've never, I've never seen a person be such a huge example of not having had anyone in his life to ever. <laughs> Disagree with it <laughs> to the point that he made a career out of it with this podcast. Yeah, um, but um, I mean, I'm gonna go back to just um, the basics of linguistics. Um, I'm just gonna go back to that. Uh, the definition of art, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, mm. is the expression or application of human creative skill and imagination. Producing works to be appreciated for their beauty or um, emotional power. Um, if you don't, if you can't think of a video game that's ever fit that kind of um, description, then um, you either haven't played video games or you haven't played any good video games. Um, and we're sorry, and <laughs> if, you, sorry. if you can't. <laughs> and, I've, and I've got a list of recommendations. Exactly. Um, but. No, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, how even in Generations 7 there were examples of artistic games. I would go back to, you know, um, Okami and Shadow of Colossus on PlayStation 2. Yep. I would go back to Final Fantasy 7 yep. on PlayStation 1. I mean, there's just a rich history, and beyond that, of course, but, I mean, there's just a rich history of... Video games telling stories that we not only are engrossed with, 
but that we're able to to see ourselves mm. in. And I think that is one of the highest mm. achievements that a work of art can ever do, mm. is that you take a creation from somebody else or a group of people who you may have not ever met, who you may not ever interact with in your life, and you take their creation and you experience it and you say, I see something in common with what they believe and what they have created without ever having seen or talked to this person before. Um, video games are that. Uh, they just are. Um, it's a way to co-experience a vision with somebody. Um, and if that does not meet Joe Rogan's definition of an artistic pursuit, then I don't know. I guess I should I was, smoke some more weed and talk to Alex Jones more. I got to be honest. I was really excited to bring up Joe Rogan. <laughs> I just kind of want to bring up Joe Rogan every podcast. No, no, Please, no. no. If you're going to punch, punch up. You I know should, I mean? you know, yeah. I should just use my platform to talk to neo-Nazis. Dude, so I'm just going to bring him up literally probably every podcast. Better perspective of what Joe Rogan That's going to be a thing, Joe Rogan. So, well, um, I think that's a, I think that's a good, <laughs> well, <laughs> a good way to end, to end the, uh, the second podcast here. Um, we, um, we went through a lot of stuff. This one was, I think a bit longer than the first yeah, one. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, boy. you know, um, but I mean, Al had a lot to say. I did have a lot Jenny, to say. Al did have a lot to say. Uh, we just gave up on Jenny about, you know, halfway through it, but you know, that's, that's fine. There. We're, you know, we're, we're good on that. We kind of, it, it, it's late. She was it not. Is, no, it's it not because late. we uh, didn't want her opinion. Obviously, it, it, it was just. You know, I'll start talking about crunch, and Jenny was just like, "I'm going to sleep." <laughs> because I talk too much. And <laughs> it's like, it's all it is. Yeah. But uh, but it, it had. Uh, this was a good. This is a good podcast. Uh, and uh, looking forward to the next one. You yeah. Know, top five. Take care, you baby. Know, I mean, our our opinions. Top five. I'm not gonna say. Oh my gosh. Woo. I'm not gonna say our opinions matter the most. Oh, I will. What I will say is our opinions are the ones are the only ones that matter. Yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. So that's what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. So uh, look forward to the top five uh, video games of the Eight Generation Podcast coming soon uh, for Jake, Al, and uh, Jenny. Y'all have a good night.